Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I invite you all to open up your Bibles, devices, or your worship guides to uh, page 10 where we will read our sermon lesson for today based on John's revelation, the revelation God gave to the Apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos. is actually a series of different revelations, but here in chapter 5, we see one glorious picture of the throne room of God. This will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. The Apostle John writes, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I thought we'd start out this morning with a little bit of a game, okay? It's a game called Guess What I Am, all right? See if you can get it. All right, guess what I am. I am something that over half of Americans say they cannot live without looking at. I am something that Americans spend about $170 billion a year to look at. I'm something that Americans look at about 100 times a day. I am something that the average American looks at about five and a half hours a day. Guess what I am? I think y'all got it. It's one of these. It's our cell phones. It's our smartphones. Now, what I want you to do is imagine that someone who is foreign to our culture, maybe someone who has been living under a rock for the last 20, 30 years, showed up, studied our culture, and saw that everyone, almost everyone, has one of these in their pockets, has one of these in their hands, maybe in front of their faces, and maybe just sometimes right here up against their ear. And ask yourself, what what might they conclude? Well, they might conclude, worthy is the cell phone. Worthy is the cell phone to receive power and wealth and honor. Okay, maybe they wouldn't shout that Revelation-esque type praise, but think about this. Think about what it is that you and I deem as worthy. What is the lens through which you, you look at something and 
and decide, is it worthy or not? As you think about that, I think we'd agree that this has some worth. I mean, let's just think about worthy as the cell phone for power. It's pretty powerful. I mean, this does pretty much everything. It plays music, it gives me directions, it gives me recipes when I'm in the kitchen, it allows me to do all of my banking and investing, it allows me to do all of my shopping, like literally I can buy anything I want from this. It's pretty powerful. In terms of just technology, there's a lot of computing power in here. Where there's a cell phone of power, of wealth, I mean, we spend considerable amount of money on these things. Worthy is it of wisdom? What do you do when you have a question? Siri, how tall is Mount Everest? <laughs> Siri, where'd I put my cell phone? <laughs> it's worthy of wisdom, of honor. It goes everywhere with us. It gets a special place by our heads at night. Worthy is the cell phone. It's pretty much everywhere with us. It's pretty much used for everything. But you think about this, it's, it's not used really here. It's not used here in church. Sure, we might read our Bibles on it, and that's all good. But it's not used here, and it's not just because we don't want it going off or beeping. By this point in time, everyone's kind of figured out where the silent button is on their phones. Could it be that, that the reason that is not used here in church is because we recognize that there is something worthy of more power, more wealth, more wisdom, more honor and glory and praise. Could it be that there's someone who's worthy of all of that? You know that it is the lamb who sits on the throne. It is Christ Jesus risen from the dead that that's why and that's who we give our worth to. And really, that's an interesting way to think about what worship is. It is ascribing worth to something. It's an interesting way when you contextualize it to what we do each and every Sunday. We put aside everything, everything, even our cell phones. So it's, it's not a distraction for us. And, and for about an hour, we stop and we just zero in. We put the blinders on for for everything except one thing, the image of the lamb, the lamb on the throne. We look and we see Christ risen. We see his empty tomb. We see his word. We see his sacraments. That's what worship is, right? And we need that, don't we? We need that weekly reminder. We need that rhythm of regular worship because it's all too easy to forget that the lamb sits on the throne. I mean, sometimes as you, as you look out on the world, your life, your schedule, your calendar, it might not seem like there's someone in charge of all this, is there? That's really the very reason why God gave the apostle John this revelation, this vision in Revelation chapter five. Things weren't going well. Things weren't going well for John or any of the other Christians, really. Christianity was relatively young, a few decades. But by this point in time, 
all the other apostles were dead. In fact, all of them were martyred for their faith, killed because of the gospel. There was serious persecution that was being suffered by the church. In fact, when John received this revelation, he was being exiled on the island of Patmos because of the gospel, because he shared his faith. So John had questions. What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to Christians? Is this this church going to endure or is it going to be defeated? And so God gave him a vision, a vision of victory. John got to see amazing things. He got to see the, the God of all creation and enter into his throne room. He got to see him there ruling all things as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No, God, God gave John the awesome privilege of, of seeing things in this life that outside of God's word, you and I, we don't get to look at. But there was one thing that John didn't get to see that he really wanted to see. He saw God on his throne and in God's right hand was a scroll. And in that scroll contained all the answers to all the questions that John had about the future, about what was going to happen to the church, about what was going to happen to him and other Christians. Would it endure or not? And as John looked at God seated on his throne with that scroll in his hand that, that foretold the future, John looked and the one thing he wanted to see, what was inside, he's blind to that. Because in just the verses prior to what we read, we find out that, that no one could open the scroll. No one could see what was inside. You want to know how John reacted at that? He cried. He wept. He wept and he, and he wept because the one thing that he wanted to know, the future, would it be okay? Would the church stand? Would, would God's faith endure? Would it go out? Would, will I be okay? Would my friends and loved ones, would, would they be okay? He couldn't see. And he, and he didn't know. And I think that is just about the most relatable thing for us. You're here because you know God sits on his throne. You trust that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who rules all things. Sometimes it doesn't really seem like that. Sometimes you look to the future and you want to try to see ahead and things don't look very good. Do you know 81% of people in America are afraid of the future financially? People are afraid of an economic collapse, a recession. You look up any poll and at the top of what people's common fears are, it's violence. It's the threat of war. It makes sense. We're familiar with the possibility. 
Harvard just did a, a poll of their own of young people ages 18 to 29. And well over half, two thirds of them, when asked to describe the future of this country, they described it in terms of fear and anxiety about the state of our country, about the leadership of our country. Oh, and that's just secular society. Let's talk, let's talk spiritually. What's the state of Christianity in the world? And those are just global things. Those are just broad concerns. Let's talk about your personal, private concerns for the future. It might not be economic collapse. It might just be, can I pay the bills? Will I be able to retire? You look to the future and you look at your loved ones. You know they won't be there. Not always. You look to the future and you ask, what's this world going to be like for my kids to grow up in it? Just last night, before I went to bed, looked at the there's a, another New York Times article about how anxiety is just affecting our youth in profound ways. What's the future going to be like for my family? What's the future going to be like for me as someone who wants to live out my faith? Let me ask you this kind of a personal question. As you look to the future, how would you describe your mood? How would you describe your mood personally, the mood of the church, the mood of the Christians? Makes sense that we feel what John feels. Maybe you don't weep and cry as, as you think about the future ahead, or maybe you do. But perhaps sometimes our mood is that. It is one of hopelessness, it is one of tears and fears because we know God's in charge, but we just look at the way things are and we wonder, where's he at? That's why you gotta stop the scroll. And not just mentally of everything that's in front of you or on your phone. You gotta stop the scroll and, and watch the throne and fix your eyes on it and don't take your eyes on it because in just the verses read, leading up to what we read before, here's the message that, well, Scripture had for John. Are you ready? Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. John writes, then I looked I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Then I looked 
and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet he is the lamb who was slain. And yet he remains on the throne victorious. What is the purpose behind all of what's going on in Revelation? Why is it that heaven is singing a new, optimistic, hope-filled song? It's because quite literally, Jesus holds the future in his hands. Quite literally, he and he alone is the only one who is able to open up the future, open up the scroll, lay it out before you, and let you know all of it. It's in my hands. Every last question, every last fear, every last hope for the future is in my hands. Because the lamb who is slain is Christ. And Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is what scripture wants you to see. This is why God gave John this vision and why he gave it to you and me too. Look, Revelation is a wild book. <laughs> you read even a few chapters, you know that. Revelation is kind of wild because it's a vision. It's, it's symbolism for a purpose. And we could spend a lot of time this morning descending into the details of what all of the, all of the things we read about before, what they mean, but we're not going to do that. Sometime we will, but not this morning. And the reason is, I don't want to lose the forest through the trees. I don't want to get wrapped up in every last detail and lose the, the bigger picture, the bigger message that, that God has for us here. What is the forest? It's that Christ is victorious, and therefore, so are you. Throughout this series called Victory, we have been looking at how Jesus' victory march out of the tomb and into life is not just a victory that we watch from afar. No, we are not just observers or spectators of this victory. We are participators in this victory. We're not just fans in the stands cheering the star player on saying, go Jesus, although we are praising him. No, we are, by God's grace, right there with him in enjoying every last aspect of this victory. And that is why God gave this picture to you. The picture of the lamb on the throne. There's just one detail that we're gonna look at in this vision given to John and to all Christians. And it's, it's one we don't have to guess about. Who's the lamb? The lamb is Christ Jesus. And you think that's a pretty familiar picture for meek and weak things throughout scripture. It's also a picture for Jesus, but, but why? Well, think about this. Jesus Christ is the lamb. He is one who has all power. Yet throughout his life, 
he set aside that power and was helpless, needing even a mom and dad to raise him. Christ Jesus is the one who owns all wealth. And yet, Scripture tells us that the Son of Man did not even have a place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was homeless. We look at Scripture and we we see that Jesus is the embodiment of all wisdom. And yet, he even set aside his full omniscience, his full knowledge of everything. And like your average teenage boy, he needed to grow and learn. Jesus is the one who has all strength, who used the strength and power of his words to create the universe and used the strength to hold the very stars of the universe in his hands. And yet we see on a walk up Calvary, he wasn't even strong enough to carry his own cross. And he stumbled and fell. We see that Jesus, to whom belongs all honor, glory, power, and wealth, well, he allowed himself to be mocked and ridiculed and rejected and spit upon and and flogged and, and ultimately crucified. Why? And more perhaps applicably, Matt, why are you telling me this in order to encourage me? This doesn't just really sound that encouraging, especially when I look at life and sometimes I... I feel victimized by everything going on. That's the point. That's the point of Jesus being the lamb. And and that's the point that God gives you this vision. Christ was the victim, but he is now the victor. The victim is now the victor. The one who suffered all of those things, the one who suffered because he purposely put aside all of the power, wealth, wisdom, and strength that was his has now taken it back up again. So what does that mean for me and you? That means that as we look out on life and we see things that challenge us, we see things that that hurt us or make us afraid about the future, and we're crippled oftentimes, victimized by pain, personally, pain physically, heartache, fears, there's one thing that's for sure. That at the end of this game called life, when the fourth quarter is done and the clock says zero, you too will emerge victorious. Why? Because the victim is no longer that. He is the victor and the one who set aside all of those things. I'm going to say it again. His power, wealth, wisdom, strength. He resumed all of it again and is seated on the throne and at this very moment using all of those things for you. He set them aside for you so he could suffer and die and rise again. And he took them up again so that you would be with him forever in heaven. This is the point of this vision. And this is what your God wants you to see. The lamb is seated on the throne. That means you're going to be there one day too. You ask people the question, if they, if they had to lose one of their senses, which one would it be? You know, over 75 people say, yeah, I could lose my smell. I could lose my sense of hearing, touch. What am I missing? Taste. 
people say the one they do not want to lose is their sense of sight. That makes sense, right? If you tried to just blindfold yourself for a day, that'd be really hard. If something terrible were to happen and, and you lost your, your sight for the rest of your life, that would, that would be tragic. Now make that application to your spiritual life. If you lost your sight spiritually and you could not see this, the lamb seated on the throne, life wouldn't just be tough or tragic. It'd be downright scary. What's the, what's the point of all of this? Spiritual blindness means that you don't see God. You, you don't understand or perceive how, how God is, who he is, and, and how he interacts in your life. You don't understand who you are in Christ. But what revelation does, what, what scripture, all of it does, is it gives you eyes to see who your God is. He is Jesus. He is the lamb on the throne. I'm not gonna lie. You read through these verses here in Revelation and you're like, oh, it's a song. Now what does that do for my life? And oftentimes we, we maybe hear a section of scripture read and we wonder that, ah, how does this apply to me? What, what difference does it make for me? And that's a common question. Especially read a vision and you wonder that too. But here, here's how it does. This song invites us in to join in this song. To join in this song as though we were there, right there, circled around the throne and, and singing it to the Lamb himself. And yeah, this isn't a section of scripture that, that tells us how to live life or what to do in life. But it's a song that affects every aspect of our lives. Because I'll admit, so often I get tunnel vision. So often I'm so focused on the here and now and, and the one thing that I should hold before my eyes, the one thing that I should never lose sight of is watching the throne of God. I just get moved to the periphery. It moves to the margins. You feel me? So often we're, we're too narrow in our focus. We're too small in our thinking. We're too obsessed with what's going on here and now that we forget to look up, that we forget to look up with the eyes of faith that the Holy Spirit has given you through the waters of your baptism and see that the lamb is seated on the throne. I mean, the question is no longer, why do I worship God? Why do I follow God? The question becomes, how could you not? How could you not join the 10,000 times 10,000 angels and join him in singing his praise? How could you not join all the creatures in heaven and on earth and singing honor, glory, praise, and power to him? Because the lamb is on the throne. And what that means is that he owns all power. And when it comes to difficult things in my life, I don't have to have the power because he has it and all he has is, is given to me. When it comes to, to wealth and, and the fact that by right, all wealth in all creation is his, why now do I, do I worry about the future of economic collapse, whether globally or personally? Why do I seize up? Whenever I think about giving my financial gifts to God, it, it's all his. 
all power, all wealth, all, all wisdom is his. Why do I grab Google and, and ask Siri these questions in life when, when wisdom personified is everything that we need here in Christ, in his word? All power, all, all wealth, all wisdom, all strength is his. All strength for any circumstance that I go through. Why, why do I self-medicate with screens or substances when, when all strength, everything I need for body and life and eternal life is here in him? The lamb is seated on the throne and all around him, do you see it? All around him is every living creature praising him, worshiping him. What does that mean for you? Well, it means whatever you're in the middle of, <laughs> your Savior's in the middle of. Your Savior's in the middle of it, and you get to look to the future and see that he's still in the middle, on the throne, being praised, being worshipped, because he's victorious. So let me ask you a personal question. What's your mood? <laughs> what's, what's your mood personally? What's the mood of the church, people? It's not one of fear and hopelessness. Did you hear the angels? Did you hear the elders? Did you hear all the saints in heaven and hosts of earth? It's a party. <laughs> all praise and glory to Christ as we celebrate his victory. One more question kind of a game. People sometimes ask if you ever could have a superpower, which one would you want to have? I used to be pretty, pretty firm in my response to that answer, that the only superpower that anybody would want to have is the ability to fly. Yeah, you could have super strength, but eventually someone's going to surprise you. Yeah, you could have super speed, but eventually someone's going to corner you. Yeah, you know, it might be cool to, you know, turn things to ice or have like laser eyes, but like, you know, that usually in the movies causes more damage than good. So I was convinced that, that flying is the only superpower that, that you would want to have. This text changed my mind a little bit. This revelation in John chapter 5 changed my mind and it made me believe that the only superpower that, that I want is to see the future. Because in Revelation chapter 5, you're actually given that power to see the future, to look ahead, to see into heaven, to see that the lamb is seated on the throne. And the response, the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So amen. Let's worship the lamb. 